Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, centered from Reality Podcast. It is Monday. It is January 22nd, and we are just flying through the new year so far. <sighs> Don't even get me started. I, I saw someone, oh, maybe it was on Instagram, they said 2024 so far feels like hump day, but a year. Like, it's not as bad as Monday or Tuesday, but also it's not the weekend. There's nothing to really celebrate for. I am not going to take that gloomy of a look yet because, look, the year is our oyster. We're not even past the first month yet. Let's let's slow it down before we start comparing this month to days of the week or gloomy days of the week or whatever else you want to say, okay? Now, I do think Bill Maher last night on Real Time, well, I watched it last night. It came out, I think, on Friday. On Real Time, his new rules segment, I think, was correct. We need this year to be a year of sanity Maybe there can be some middle ground between, you know, some more left-leaning cities basically saying we're not even going to prosecute crime, well, shoplifting, that type of crime, and Trump saying let's just shoot shoplifters. Like, I feel like there can be something in the middle, and Bill Maher talks about that. Like, maybe this can be the year of sanity. Little spoiler, I don't think this is going to be the year of sanity. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that, but hey, here we are. And so anyways... I want to talk about Ron DeSanctimonious today. I want to talk briefly about malaria and potential malaria cures going on. But first, I have to rant for a minute because Saturday night I got off work, got back, got a good ski in. I'm all happy. Packers Niners, I'm feeling bold. I I think the Packers have a shot. And for maybe the fourth time in six or seven years, the Packers lost a game in the playoffs that utterly broke my soul. And I know this team is young, they weren't even supposed to be there, and they lost to the Niners by three points, and probably would have won, and were winning most of the game, except for Anders Carlson, their rookie kicker, missed a field goal, and they lose by three. And everyone's, even Niners fans are telling me, they're like, oh, the Packers, sky's the limit, they should have beat us, they look great, the future's looking bright for them. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but also it's hard to get back. It's hard to get back in that rhythm, and so I don't like generally in life, whether it's sports or careers or friendships or relationships, I don't like it when people say, well, you almost got it this time, but you have all the potential, next year is going to work out, because life doesn't work like that. Things change. Dynamics change. The world changes. Like You have to harness that moment when everything's clicking, because even if you are clicking now, you don't know if you're going to be clicking down the road, and so... You know, everyone's like, yeah, next season is going to be great for the Packers. You never know. And I I do think next season should be good for the Packers. But life is crazy. Life is complicated. Things change. And so, yeah, it was, um, (laughs) I was pretty down yesterday, Sunday, went out on a long run, got my 20 miles in and kind of got into this delirious runner's high where my mind was just, you know, firing in all directions. And I was thinking of so many different things. And I don't know. I I got into thinking, and this is, I'm sorry, I'm starting with kind of a Monday rant here that has nothing to do with politics, but this is my only platform, so (laughs) I had to get this out. But on the run, after thinking about time and basically the longevity of a sports team and the longevity of potential and the longevity of kind of everything, I started to think about, you know, how I've spent most of my 20s, and I'm not into my 30s yet, I'm still in my 20s, but how I spent my early 20s into my mid-20s going from school in LA to working in Madrid to grad school in Chicago to back to the Reno-Tahoe area 
And I was thinking like, God, I've had so many ephemeral moments, kind of ephemeral I talk about on the podcast, short, exciting, short-lived moments. And I've had so many and I've learned so much. I've talked to so many fascinating people through these ephemeral moments. You know, whether it's in a bar in Toledo, Spain, meeting with, you know, people that experienced the Spanish Civil War or meeting with someone in Poland or meeting with someone in wherever else it may be, you really learn a lot about people through these kind of short-lived moments where it's just the right time and the right place, you know. And I really think it can be full of highs and great experiences, stories I still tell to this day, things I write about. I think a lot of my short-lived, fiery moments and meeting random people in foreign countries have led to a lot of my political views. But I've been thinking a lot lately that I'm starting to also see the negative side of kind of living living a life of adventure and ephemeral moments and moving around a lot because I think you get to a conundrum when what happens where you like the moment and place you're in and don't want to leave it. You know, it's hard to commit to people and opportunities and stability when you're kind of living a life of adventure and moving around and all of this jazz. And I guess what if you don't want something to be temporary anymore? I just feel like I'm starting to approach this, and I was really thinking about this on my run yesterday, that there does come a time when you don't want more experiences, more stories, more growth, in a sense, by traveling. You actually want more time in a single place to really build foundations and stability and relationships. And yeah, so I've just been thinking a lot about ephemeral moments versus kind of long-term connection and stability. And I guess you could say that is probably the fundamental... um, kind of conflict that that I think a lot of us have and I definitely have but I and I'm and I think there's pros and cons to both because I think a lot of my adventures and experiences and ability just to meet someone in a random bar in Europe and be able to have a two-hour conversation with them has really kind of melded my my perspective and my views and my politics but I'm also at a point where maybe I don't want to leave a place maybe I don't want this temporary status anymore I kind of want to be established and develop relationships and kind of really see where I fit into a puzzle somewhere. So anyways, rant aside, let's let's first get into Ron DeSantis here because he dropped out. You guys are going to be really surprised to find out that he dropped out, gave some of his robotic smiles while doing it, and then also endorsed Donald Trump, who has been attacking his table manners, his character, his family, his looks, his height, his legitimacy as a human being. But of course, he endorsed Donald Trump. Really shocking, right? Anyways, I want to play, I guess we'll try to listen to the majority of his speech where he drops out and endorses Trump. God, it's only four minutes, but it feels like my hair turned gray and I've retired already by the time I was done recording it and listening to it because it's just so boring just so boring and then you wonder why he couldn't do better with voters but anyways let's give it a listen i'll i'll play most of it until we get too bored and some of you fall asleep in this country this is america's time for choosing we can choose to allow a border invasion or we can choose to stop it we can choose reckless borrowing and spending or we can choose to limit government and lower inflation we can choose political indoctrination or we can choose classical education. These choices are symptoms of the underlying struggle to ensure that constitutional government can endure and that Western civilization can survive. And we launched this campaign to bring accountability to government, 
regain sovereignty at our border and restore sanity to our society. We cannot succeed. By the way, the sanity thing is <clears throat> very difficult for me to believe just based on the entirety of his campaign, but I'll digress. It as a country, if we allow our nation to be invaded, our currency to be debased, our cities to crumble, and our kids to be indoctrinated. The DC elites who facilitated- I mean, they, they kind of indoctrinated kids in Florida too, but okay. This mess do not care about you, and they do not work for you. They work for themselves. They seek to accumulate power at your expense to pursue an agenda that is harmful to the American people. Citizens do not serve politicians. It is the duty of politicians to serve you. Talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. Reversing the decline of this nation requires leadership that delivers big results for the people we are elected to serve. I have a record of leading with conviction, championing an agenda marked by bold colors, delivering on my promises, and defeating the people who are responsible for our nation's decline. That is the type of leadership we need for all of America. But... Now, over the past many months, Casey and I have traveled across the country to deliver a message of hope that decline is a choice and that we can, in fact, succeed again as a nation. Nobody worked harder, and we left it all out on the field. Now, following our second place finish in Iowa, we've prayed and deliberated on the way forward. If there was anything I could do to produce a favorable... No offense, but I feel like he maybe should have been praying a few months ago that something happens to Trump legally because a little too late, bro. More campaign stops, more interviews, I would do it. But I can't ask our supporters to volunteer their time and donate their resources if we don't have a clear path to victory. Accordingly, I am today suspending my campaign. Oh my God. And also, I, I love when they say clear path to victory. There was, there's literally no clear path to victory unless Trump gets, in, gets, gets found guilty and ends up in prison before the election. And I don't think the timing is going to be there for that. I'm proud to have delivered on 100% of my promises, and I will not stop now. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. They watch his presidency get stymied by relentless resistance, and they see Democrats using lawfare this day to attack him. Well, I've had disagreements with Donald Trump, such as- Disagreements? Coronavirus pandemic and his elevation of Anthony Fauci, Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackaged form of warmed over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. The days of putting Americans last, of kowtowing to large corporations, of caving to woke ideology are over. Anyways, yeah, that's probably true. And I, I can't stand to listen to this anymore, but it is true. He, he is not Nikki Haley. For example, he likes to go after corporations. He likes to kind of come down with an iron fist, almost kind of taking some of the playbook from the far left in terms of holding government and corporations accountable and basically not allowing freedom of expression if you don't agree with it. And so, yeah, it's true. He's not a conservative. He kind of has more of an economic right-wing populist vibe. So anyways, guys, guess what? DeSantis dropped out. Big surprise. And I guess my initial take would be I'm just, just really surprised about how bad his campaign was and how poorly run it was. Because I have read reports over the years 
about how he is quite this tough guy and fighter in Florida. I don't agree with the things he fights for because it's usually bad for the trans community, the LGBTQ plus community, abortion rights, free speech, just to name a few, immigrants, as, as I've covered extensively over the last year or two. But that being said, like, he, he did come off as a strong personality as governor of Florida, you know, with not allowing the, the, the cruise lines to have vaccine mandates and no mask laws and making Florida kind of a chaotic super spreader during the early days of COVID. Side note, I, I'll just never forget when I was still locked down in Spain and my Spanish family and I would be watching the news and sometimes Florida would come up and they were all just appalled about how careless Florida was at first. And now he's attacking Fauci. But what I mean is that he was a strong personality in Florida and it's just weird that he never did that when running against Trump. He seems to have made a very direct decision to just not be that. And I don't know why, because I think it's tarnished his political career. I kind of wonder if this is the end of his political career, because I don't know how you bounce back from just kind of seeming like a kind of a toxic, weird, nerdy misanthrope on, on the national stage. And it's just fascinating to me. And I I, I'm always just kind of shocked about how many leaks came from his own staff. The amount of people just attacking him. His own staff seemed to loathe him. The donors went away from him pretty early towards Nikki Haley. It's just kind of a fascinating study. And now that he's dropped out, I'm actually kind of curious to see what other stories come out of this. But it's never a bad, sorry, it's never a good thing when it seems like all of your staff and the people working for you don't believe in your campaign, and his wife, Casey, seems to be the only one that was really speaking to him and guiding his campaign at all. Like, that's just not good. And it's a really interesting case study that I'm curious to see. Now, moving on, we have to, let's do a quick little obituary of the DeSantis (laughs) campaign. And of course, it starts with his launch on the Twitter Spaces audio chat. And that never made sense to me because his voice and just delivery, it's kind of hard to listen to him. So why would you announce your campaign on an audio-only service that also glitched out and was just total disaster? And, you know, fast forward to this, he, of course, ended his campaign on social media as well. And they actually uploaded his his statement that I recorded to X. And I think the best thing about the end of his is that it shows that his staff wasn't really willing to really protect him here. And what I mean is that he misquoted Winston Churchill. <laughs> and there's a guy, Justin Reich, who is the executive director of the International Churchill Society. And he said in quotes, what DeSantis said was one of the most commonly used misattributed quotes of Churchill in existence. And what I mean here is that DeSantis quoted Churchill during his campaign ending speech, where he said in quotes, success is not failure. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. And guys, Churchill did not say this. (laughs) And I would argue that I think a lot of people think he said this because as time has gone on, it just sounds like something Churchill would say. And it's just kind of one of those things that's in our public psyche. And it's kind of funny that no one in his staff or no one around him was like, hey, dude, like, 
uh, Churchill didn't say this. You probably don't want to go out and say this. And anyway, he said this. And this guy, Reich, again, who's with the International Churchill Society, was quoted in the Atlantic saying, there is no documented attribution of Churchill making this statement. And now the funny thing is, and I think this sums up the DeSantis campaign in a nutshell, is that this that this statement comes from an Anheuser-Busch ad from the Depression era. So, you know, the company that owns and makes Bud Light. And somehow over time, this beer ad and the language used and this whole idea of success is not final, failure is not fatal, somehow it was tweaked and assigned to Churchill and kind of our zeitgeist of the moment or whatever you want to say. And it's just kind of funny because, you know, DeSantis was kind of leading the culture war in the battle against Bud Light for being a woke beer. And due to just not fact-checking or any due diligence in, in regards to his campaign, they ended up quoting a Bud Light, well, an Anheuser-Busch ad from the 30s and said Churchill said it. I think that is just amazing. And Brian Stelter, who I'm not always a huge fan of, but I think he had a good piece in The Atlantic, and I just want to read what he said about this because I think it does highlight the problem, a, a bigger problem with the DeSantis campaign. He writes here, This low-stakes, laugh-out-loud blunder is a perfect distillation, not just of DeSantis's failed presidential bid, but also of the Fox-powered rights post-truth culture, where cribbing and cheating never seem to matter. <laughs> and... It's, it's just funny because, yeah, people like to attribute this to Churchill because it's witty and short, and it just sounds like something that would come, and no one fact-checks it, and now you have DeSantis quoting the company that now he's at war with because he calls it woke, and yes, it is, it is pretty interesting to see that happening. And getting back to, I think, a broader sense of the autopsy of the DeSantis campaign, he was clearly trying to emulate Donald Trump by trying to come off as this cold, strong man who's kind of bitter, but also kind of enjoyable and can appeal to a myriad of populist issues and national conservative issues. And see, the thing is, is I think it's pretty clear that Trump doesn't actually like going to some of these rallies. I'll never forget when he was in, in Iowa at a rally like two weeks ago, and he's like, I don't have to be here. I could be at my golf club, but I'm here for you. Like, it's clear Trump has a deep disdain for that whole base. Like, he clearly doesn't want to be there, but he knows he has to be there. And whether or not Trump actually likes his base, he makes it entertaining, and he brings in a, a tent of craziness. Like, he makes everyone feel good at those rallies, right? He is offering a dangerous message, a vitriolic message, and he's throwing a lot of red meat to the crowd, but he does it in a way where everyone feels like they want to be there. And DeSantis has the disdain part <laughs> truly locked down. But he doesn't have the part where he understands his base and knows how to play off of their emotions and they, they want to be there. DeSantis just doesn't have that. And I think that's why his campaign was almost just comically a failure. And again, not every candidate is good at public speaking or is comfortable in giant rooms talking to people. I think of Richard Nixon, <laughs> obviously. I, I George George H.W. Bush, too. Not exactly like great public speakers, but it was like DeSantis had the kind of irritant, petty nature that Trump has, but he also seemed just annoyed. He seemed like annoyed with other people, like with the existence of people at his events. And 
I was listening to one event maybe like a week ago, and this, this is a guy who was at his event who was a DeSantis supporter, and, and he literally was like, not verbatim, but something to the effect of, why don't you go after Trump more? Like, you're losing to him. You need to do something to stand up against Trump. Like, why don't you attack him more? And DeSantis just seemed irritated at this guy who is literally supporting him and just asking him why he can't do better. And he just said, well, I am attacking him, but not in the way you guys want. And I'm actually really going after him on nuanced issues. And it was like he was talking down to his own supporters and people that wanted him when they were asking genuinely good questions like, why aren't you setting yourself apart from Donald Trump? Because it doesn't seem like you are. And he's, I I have never thought DeSantis is dumb. He's bright. I, I do think he's bright. But he's kind of an asshole. He's socially awkward. He's an introvert. And he doesn't really seem to like people very much. And that's really tough when you're also doing poorly and you were propped up as the alternative to Donald Trump. So put all that into a blender and yeah, you're going to have a failed campaign. And like, even in Florida, you saw a lot of the Florida political apparatus turn against him. Marco Rubio doesn't like him. Rick, Rick Scott has gone out and endorsed Trump. A lot of Florida congressmen are all Trumpers. And even Florida voters said they liked DeSantis, but they're still Trump supporters. And I'll never forget it was in Iowa. There were people working for the DeSantis campaign that were doing canvassing, going door to door. And they even were telling people when they went to their houses that they were working for the DeSantis campaign, but voting for Trump. Like, dude, you've you've lost if the people within your own campaign have already given up on you. That's just a really tough pill to swallow. And Tom Nichols has a good piece. And... <laughs> He, he writes, DeSantis aimed a kind of annoyed hist- hostility even at his own voters. And also you have a piece by Kurt Anderson and Alex Castellanos in Politico from a few days ago. And <laughs> they talk about how once DeSantis was on a national scale, in quotes, it introduced the candidate to the nation as a bright but socially awkward introvert, a nerd who did not enjoy people, which was a problem since most voters tend to be people. <laughs> And Nichols also writes later in his piece, worse, instead of running as a competent governor, he chose instead to present himself as a dislikable bully, perhaps as part of his overall attempt to emulate Trump. His commitment to, to democracy was never more than a few inches deeper than Trump's, as he made clear in a strange, acronym laden culture war campaign. Yep. And actually getting into that acronym laden culture war campaign. I feel like the people like Christopher Rufo with the Manhattan Institute, who was part of the Don't Say Gay stuff and was part of getting, you know, Claudine Gay fired for plagiarism, which, I mean, I think she should have been fired, but sometimes not for the right reasons. But anyways, it's the Christopher Rufo type of anti-DEI Twitter or X type of people that are online and angry that DeSantis appealed to. But I don't particularly think that there are actually that many of people like that in the real world. And so DeSantis's campaign went way too online way too quickly. And look, by metrics, just by how well he did in 2022 in the midterms, of course, Charlie Crist, the Democrat who ran against him, not exactly a formidable opponent, but DeSantis just swept. And by all the metrics, he was a very popular governor, is, I guess, a popular governor, even though, as Drew talked about on the podcast last week, Housing costs are high. Insurance is tough to get because of hurricanes. 
And instead of dealing with Florida's issues, he's out on the campaign trail, becoming more dislikable every time he speaks. And I think he just got two online. And the problem here is that he didn't talk about the Everglades. He, he actually had some pretty good environmental policy with the Everglades. And he didn't focus on just the more normal stuff, the day-to-day stuff that the governor of a big state does. Instead, he just becomes a culture warrior and he appeals to a small segment of the online right, the Christopher Rufo right. But that's not even that's not even what the Trump base totally wants. The Trump base is more of kind of a national conservative populism that's about the red meat. And DeSantis couldn't even deliver good red meat either. So it, it's just a fascinating experience. And I guess at the end of the day, he's endorsed Trump, like Tim Scott has done in South Carolina, like they all are going to start slowly doing now. And tomorrow morning, tomorrow, by the time you're listening to this, maybe it's already tomorrow, we have New Hampshire. And it's, it's kind of interesting because we do finally have a two-person race. But I don't know if DeSantis dropping out, obviously, is going to help Nikki Haley very much. You also have had Tim Scott, Doug Burgum, Vivek Ramaswamy all endorse Trump. And just from my experience following all of this over the last year or two, the DeSantis supporter is probably not going to Nikki Haley. I mean, I played the clip of DeSantis attacking Nikki Haley earlier in the show. He he sees her as the old guard, the neoconservative right, and that is not where the party's going. It's very clear to me that DeSantis supporters go to Trump. And so, yes, we've seen one poll that has her and and Donald Trump neck and neck in New Hampshire. But it's just a little too little, a little too late. And Nikki Haley, over the last couple days, has continued to question Trump's mental fitness. And this is after... <laughs> Over the weekend, Trump was blaming Nikki Haley for not calling the Capitol Police and mobilizing the National Guard on January 6th. This has been an attack he's he's laid out on Nancy Pelosi for the last couple of years, but I, I'm just curious if he's mixing up Nancy Pelosi, Nikki Haley, both their names start with an N, I guess, so there's some sort of connection there, not really a very strong connection, but it is an interesting one. And Nikki Haley finally now at the almost 12th hour, so I mean the end, is finally now questioning Trump's mental capacity, which does seem like something she maybe should have done like two years ago. Instead of saying that he was the right president for the right time, maybe she should have said this is a guy who clearly is unfit mentally and just with his own demeanor to run this country. And now it's like she's a couple days from New Hampshire when she says this, and she's finally saying that Trump can't even remember who was at the Capitol, because obviously Nikki Haley was not at the Capitol on January 6th. But I don't see Nikki Haley doing well tomorrow, even if she comes close to Trump. South Carolina seems like a mess for her, because we have to remember that Tim Scott has now come out and endorsed Trump. Nikki Haley, literally as governor of South Carolina, is the one that appointed Tim Scott to be senator, by the way. It's bad when the guy that you appointed, you gave him his job as senator, and he's not even supporting you. I mean, Nikki Haley has had much more of a cognizant and effective campaign than DeSantis, but that's not really saying much because she also does not have a lot of support amongst the senators, amongst congresspeople, 
amongst governors and amongst the base. And it was definitely true in Iowa that it was mainly independents and Democrats that like her, not Republicans. And I think the same could probably be said in New Hampshire. And we'll have to see because I, I think Trump can play a different role for different voters. Like in Iowa, he talks a lot about ethanol, corn, which is he calls liquid gold or liquid oil or gold. I forget which one he said, but it was insane either way. Trump can go into New Hampshire and focus on different issues. Yeah, she can talk about reproductive rights and try to come from the center. But this is Trump's to lose. Even though Chris Sununu is totally behind Nikki Haley, I don't think it particularly matters. And I'll do a podcast tomorrow probably breaking down what we see happen because obviously right now it hasn't started yet. But either way, I, I don't think her campaign is long-lived either. And it does seem like the ticking inevitability of Trump being the nominee, we're, we're pretty much there. Now, the last thing I want to say is I had some buddies text me yesterday. A few different people actually asked me, do you think DeSantis endorsing Trump maybe is a good choice for him because he can be part of the cabinet or potentially this is a good VP option? He can appeal to some of that base. I, I just said full stop no. DeSantis came off as weak. Trump doesn't like losers doesn't like awkward people, doesn't like people that are bad for imagery. And he seems to check all of those boxes. Yeah, on a campaign slogan, or slogan, geez, I can't speak. On a campaign sign, Trump DeSantis is a pretty clean word choice. It's pretty easy for a bumper sticker. But I don't really think Trump and DeSantis could get along after all the attacks this year. And also at the same time, I just don't think Trump wants to be around this kind of kind of depressing, robotic type of dude, he wants someone more exciting. And I still do believe he either runs alongside an African-American or a woman. That is that is still where I stand on this. The attacks are getting more heated between Nikki Haley and Trump, so I'm starting to wonder if my theory that Nikki Haley gets offered the VP position still holds up. Maybe it does, but I think after tomorrow we're going to see more more signs of what is next. And I will say that we are on the eve, obviously, of it. And The Guardian does write here, and I think this is a good piece that came out about two hours ago. It writes here in quotes, two polls released on eve of state's primary, New Hampshire that is, put ex-president Donald Trump at 19 points and 18 points ahead of the UN of the former UN ambassador, Nikki Haley. And The Guardian writes here in, po- in quotes, in a poll released on Sunday... The day the hard-right Florida governor contradicted his own super PAC and backed down, NBC News, the the Boston Globe, and Suffolk University put Trump 19 points clear of Haley at 55% to 36%. And also, then it writes, on Monday, the Washington Post and Monmouth University put Trump at 52% in New Hampshire to 34% for Haley. Yeah. Not at all surprising, and I covered uh, Chris Christie's hot mic, you know, saying Nikki has no chance. It's looking more like that to me. Trump obviously wants to not just closely beat Nikki, he wants to win, and both of these predict him to go over 50%. Would not surprise me whatsoever, but we'll have to see tomorrow. Anyways, I want to end on, I guess, something kind of bright here, is it looks like malaria, and I, I don't have too much to say on this, But it looks like there's some pretty good vaccination programs that are going to get going in Africa to help stop malaria. 
The Economist writes here in quotes, Cameroon began the world's first routine malaria vaccine program for children. The vaccine has been developed by GSK, a British drug maker. The article writes later, Cameroon's government intends to administer it to 250,000 children in 2024 and 2025. We have to remember, guys, like this is actually pretty huge because malaria A is something you can get time and time again. I was listening to a BBC report earlier while I was working, and they were talking about how you can keep getting it, and getting it once doesn't stop you from experiencing lethal or severe symptoms the next time you get it. And also malaria kills like half a million children under the age of five in Africa every year. And the continent in general has like 95% of the world's malaria deaths, according to The Economist. And so this is, this is really quite good news. And we are seeing a lot of West Africa following suit here with successful campaigns to completely try to eradicate malaria. And that is something positive. You know, there's a lot of depressing nature in the world, but diseases like malaria in Africa, I think, have helped limit growth and prosperity. Because I think if your institutions are busy focusing on just preventing the, the next outbreak and preventing death it is really hard to expand and be productive. And so I think, I think eradicating some of these diseases in Africa could be a huge, huge point towards something new, towards progress, basically. So anyways, uh, that's going to do it for today. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. You guys know the rest. A lot of ranting tonight. You know me, though. Sometimes that happens. So anyways, have a great night. Adios.